Praise the Lord. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 48? Genesis chapter 48. Lord, I don't want to miss anything. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to start off with reading in Genesis chapter 48, and I want to read verse 17. So I want to read one, one verse, and then we're going to, we'll spend more time with it, but I want to start out with prayer after this verse. Genesis chapter 48 and verse 17. Then Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head. I'm sorry. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Father, I thank you for your word, that in it we find your heart, Lord, we find your will, and we find direction for our lives. And as we spend time studying and spending, spending some time here today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, and Lord, direct us in the way everlasting. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um. I have to tell you that even though I didn't hear all of it, that this scripture leapt at me the other day. I've, in, in, in the car that we have, we've got satellite radio at least until mid-December. <laughs> and can I just be honest with you? There's somebody that I rarely listen to. You may love, but I rarely listen to because his manner was so different. It was hard for me to watch him on television, and that's Joel Osteen. It's just so sweet. <laughs> so, he's so nice that sometimes it's hard for me to listen to him. But he's got a satellite channel on, on there. And I thought, well, let me give it a listen. And I, listened, and I loved it. And it, I've played it again, and I, I love it. It is a powerful message speaking life and speaking hope and speaking truth. And... You can take any minister in the world and find something to pick them apart about. But I'm going to tell you, I appreciate what he's doing. And I was talking not too long ago, I can't even remember who it was, with some friend, minister friends of ours who went to a conference. I remember who it was now, but I'll leave them out. Went to a ministry conference out in California, and they had big hitter name speakers there. Well-known television ministry speakers. The big, the big guns were there. And uh, they had some powerful days of ministry and powerful words being delivered. And the last speaker was Joel Osteen. And Joel Osteen got up and gave a very simple, very positive, very encouraging message. And at the end, he said, can we just take a moment? If you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can we pray together? And he prayed. And after days of conference with these powerful preachers there were hundreds of people who came and gave their lives to the lord and there were ministers there who realized in all of our preaching we never gave someone opportunity to give their life to the lord and hundreds came at that very simple message that was encouraging and lift them up but they had the opportunity to receive jesus and we don't need to miss that you know there was a piece there that was intentional of the lord and I, I just really appreciate that. So <clears throat> I'm 
partially confessing and at the same time just encouraging and saying, I have a fresh appreciation for Joel Osteen and the message that he brought. And I heard just a smidget of the a sermon that he gave the other day. He preached from this passage, and I thought, I want to go read that. And then I decided, I love that. So you've got something going on here. Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob being the last of the, those three that were the wanderers because of Abraham's leaving of Ur and taking that journey, follow me to a place that you don't know. And then Isaac followed that and received a promise from the Lord about the land. And then Jacob received a promise from the Lord about the land. But Jacob ended up living his life out in Egypt because they had to flee to Egypt because of the famine. And he lived out his days in Egypt. And that's where he rediscovered his son Joseph, who he thought was dead. But God had divinely positioned as prime minister over, over Egypt. And in their separation, uh, you know, like once again, I'll say that Jacob didn't think that he'd ever see Joseph again. He thought he was dead. And then he discovered that his son was alive and his son had sons. And, and uh, Jacob had a couple of sons who had erred. They had sinned so badly that they were basically disinherited. And uh, in this passage, let's just go back to verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel, another name for Jacob, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in bed. So here you have this patriarch who is on his deathbed. It says he had to rally his strength to even sit up in bed. (laughs) Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt, he's speaking to Joseph here, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mined, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. So what Jacob is saying to him, look, you had two sons who were born to you before I ever came and found out that you were alive, but I'm claiming your two sons, that they're now going to be considered at same rank as Jacob's sons. That was divine favor on their lives. God was making a place for them. What he's saying is your sons Will, in, will inherit equal shares with my sons. So he was elevating them from grandsons to be actual sons. And it's, he goes on in verse 6. <clears throat> any, I'm sorry, I want to skip down to verse 8. When Israel, that means Jacob, saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who's, who are these? So he knows their sons, but he's not, his eyes were not very good. So he's not even recognizing who they are standing in front of him. They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel, Jacob, said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's, Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me 
to see your children too. It's interesting to me that they've been living in Egypt for some time. Jacob is as aged has been some time since the last passage that says when we start out, sometime later. But, you know, it's not like they were living right up underneath one another. Joseph was in the, in the place of, of rulership in the, in, the, in, the, in the land of Egypt, and Jacob and his family were living in, the, in Goshen, which was a distant. They just didn't hop on Highway 95 and cruise over there or jump on Highway 40 and go to the other side. It was a laborious thing, and especially with Jacob being old like he was, it wasn't easy for him to travel. <coughs> um, I never expect to see your face again, but let's go to verse 12. Then Joseph removed them from Jacob's knees. So I went and looked at this in several different translations, and it doesn't really warrant us spending a whole lot of time with it, but basically they were kind of gathered around there. Some translations from between his knees, some say from around his knees, but he kind of pulls them back. And, uh, and then Joseph went, he bowed down, face down to the ground. It says, Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right hand towards Israel's left and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to them. So what's going on right here? What's happening? He's positioning his sons for blessing, right? He knows that this that Jacob the patriarch, Israel the patriarch is getting ready to bless these boys. So Joseph strategically knowing where they were in birth order, knowing what the the traditional or the expected position for blessing should be. He positions his oldest where his oldest will be by the right hand. He positions his younger by the left hand to receive a lesser blessing. So Ephraim on his right hand, uh, no, say that was on, on, on Joseph's right hand, which was, which was Jacob's left, and Manasseh was on Joseph's left hand, which would have been Jacob's right hand. Sorry for the confusion. And he brought them close to him. It says, but Israel reached out his right hand and put it on, on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossed his arms and put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. There's an intentionality in that. They've been positioned according to what man's intentions were. They have been positioned based on what tradition would say. But as he's preparing to give this blessing, he crosses his hands. I've heard people preach about this and say, well, it's just old Jacob. It's just old Jacob. Jacob, who was known to be the treacherous one. Jacob, who was known to be the deceiver. Jacob, who was known to be the one, I'm going to get my way however it's supposed to be. I don't believe that. I believe that there was an act of God's divine favor at work here, not some kind of devious, treacherous uh, misalignment on the fact of, of Jacob or Israel as God, God changed his name. But God had a purpose and a plan that's speaking to us still today. And it, he comes down and he begins to bless them. And he said, and then he blessed Joseph and said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. So that was an equal blessing. He's praying the same thing over them. 
says, and, and then Joseph happened to look up, and he sees what's going on here. And, he, and Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, and he was displeased. Joseph's upset. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, no, father, this one's the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. And it says in verse 19, but this aged man who had to raise himself up in bed even to be able to, 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 to greet his son, this aged man whose eyes had been failing, verse 19 says, but his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he. His descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. And so there was blessings that were coming to both of these brothers. But there was some, a divine impartation that was coming on them that changed the order of things, that changed the perception of how things would be. It changed the fixed path of these guys' lives and set the younger over the older. And I just want to, there's something that I'm excited about. I need to pull back the reins and not go there quite yet, but there's something that I'm excited about for us and for you. Um, there's something that God moved divinely in, in Scripture that brings hope to us. Because, look, you may be feeling like you've been passed over when it comes to things of the Lord. Or you may feel like you're kind of lagging behind. Can I just say this, that, that God hasn't forgotten about you? You may look like, well, I'm kind of a misfit or I'm kind of the broken pieces or I don't have everything that everybody else has and I don't have all the opportunities that the other people have. Well, let me just tell you, God's crossing his hands. God's crossing his hands towards you to bring blessing to you. You may look like that maybe there were things in your life and maybe you've been feeling like you're disqualified from walking out some things or, or maybe your circumstances are such to where you missed the opportunity to be able to do what God calls you to do. And somehow you feel like that that blessing passed on to somebody else or the, the, the mess-ups in your life are, are too great and they are disqualifying you. Can I just tell you something? God's crossing his hands towards you. You may think that the other person got the double portion and you were left out. God's crossing his hands towards you because God's got a purpose and a plan that, that he... He has a way of working out things where man doesn't understand. God's blessing is not dependent on your birth lineage. God's not plan is not dependent on the heritage that you came from. God's blessing is not dependent on your financial status. God's blessing is not dependent on your position in society. God can bless and move on your behalf and bring anointing to your life. Look at, let's look at some biblical examples. What, right, right back to Jacob. Look at Esau and Jacob. Jacob wasn't the firstborn. He was the second born, but he received the birthright. God blessed him, and God changed his name from what everybody's perception of. You are the treacherous one. You're the deceiver. Can you imagine having to carry that around with you for your life? Everybody who calls you by name, everybody who calls you by name is calling you, hey there, hey treacherous one, how you doing today? Hey deceiver, how you doing today? Can you imagine the burden of having a name like that? 
And then God steps in and he crosses his hands towards him and says, no, your name's Israel. Your name is Israel. What about Aaron? Aaron was the firstborn. Aaron was above Moses. Aaron was before him. Aaron should have had the blessing. But God chose Moses to be the deliverer. God crossed his hands towards him. Moses was the one who was brought up in Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's household. And look, we can say, well, that was grand and glorious. But he failed. He became a murderer. By all counts, he should have been the one put aside. He should have been the one that was left out. He should have been the one that was disqualified. If you're going to pick someone to be a leader, how many of us would vote a murderer in as a president? How many of us would vote someone that into some kind of high office in our, in our community? And God chose the murderer. If that's not a picture of grace, God crossed his hands towards him and he chose Moses to lead his people. What about Eliab? Does anybody know who Eliab is? But he was the firstborn. Eliab. Y'all can Google it if you want. Don't do it now. Eliab was little David's big brother. Little David didn't even get invited to the party when it was a time for the anointing. When, when the prophet came by, when Samuel came by to anoint the next king, he wasn't even invited to the party. He's just a kid. He's out there taking care of the sheep. He stinks. They describe him as a ruddy young boy. He's out there taking care of the sheep. Not even invited to the party, but God didn't lose sight of him. God crossed his hands towards him and selected the one that should not have been. With everything that he went through, God anointed David to be king. What about Solomon? Do you know that Solomon was not the firstborn? But God chose the one that wasn't acceptable, the one that should not have been. God chose that person. Can, can I just bless you with something else? What about Leah and Rachel? This is a, kind of a reverse. You know... Leah was the oldest, but Rachel was the loved. Leah was the oldest. She should have been the one that received favor, but, <clears throat> but Rachel was the one who was loved and cared for, and Leah was given by trickery to be the wife. She was the first wife, but it was, there was no love in it. So she lived in a household when she knew the affections of her husband weren't even towards her. The affections of her husband were towards the second wife, her sister, nonetheless. Can you imagine growing up with a more beautiful, more desirable sister? And then see the affections of the one who you married to? Where goes, where's that marital bliss? And you find out that not only does he not really love you, but he sticks around long enough to be able to take your sister in to the household. Can you imagine what that felt like? But you know what? The Lord, the Lord crossed his, his hands towards her. The Lord made her more fruitful. Leah became more fruitful. And, and while her own husband may not have loved her as much, we find that the Lord blessed her. Do you know who came from Leah's line? Judah. God blessed her, even though in her husband's eyes she wasn't the most loved. 
Judah came from her. Levi came from her. Those who would serve the temple of the Lord. So God blessed. Even though she may have felt like she was spurned when it came to love, God favored her. You may feel that you've been passed over by God, but He's not forgotten about you. And His intentions are to bless you. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 54. It's still in my Bible, I know. It sure has taken me a long time to get there. We're getting close now. Isaiah 54. There's something just, a fire. I was getting ready to use wrong grammar, and I don't know if I'm going to find the right grammar, so I'm just going to give it to you the way it came to me. Something was lighted, is the way I should be saying. Something got lit up inside of me this week. You know what it is? God, God made me excited for the broken God gave, made me excited for those that feel disqualified. God made me excited about those that are the misfits. God made me excited about those that, that don't feel like they have a place in God's kingdom. Because I'm going to tell you, those are people of God's favor. Folks, can we just ready our hearts and, 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 and prepare a wide space for people to come and be, to walk with us? They don't even have to be here. They may be someone that we're walking with outside that we've got a relationship with but recognize that just because they've had a hard life or a hard road that that doesn't mean that God's turned his back on them and that God doesn't love them and God's not concerned about what they're going through and God doesn't have favor and blessing for them God's crossing his arms towards them he's saying no I'm choosing to bless you I know that there may not be anyone that would choose you for the team you might be the last one that was picked or the one that gets left out as far as man's concerned. But God's not turning his back on them. God sees good in them. He knows what he created them for. They may be a late bloomer. They may be slow getting started. But God knows how to teach them to run the race so that they can win. And God's crossing his hands towards them. So there is not one person that's too broken. There's not one person that's too far gone that God can't reach them. And I'm looking forward to being able to see God put some lives together. I'm looking forward to seeing a smile break across a face that hasn't smiled in a long time where it seems like depression has taken hold of them. I'm looking forward to seeing transformation. God's put light and life inside of us to be able to reach into the darkness. Prayer is not an excuse for inactivity, folks. Prayer is not an excuse for inactivity. Let's be the light. They may see your good works and glorify your Father that's in heaven. Amen? So I'm reading this passage in Isaiah chapter 54. For those of you who feel like you may have been passed over. For those of you who feel like everybody else gets the blessing. For those of you who feel like that maybe... Maybe you're just not good enough, and, and maybe all those good things are for somebody else. But we're going to read Isaiah 54, and I'm going to tell you, this really, if, you, if you've got a, a, a modern translation, go back and read it again, because it will just light up. But listen, this is in the, the NIV. It says, sing, O barren woman, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song and shout for joy. 
You who, who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than for her who has a husband, says the Lord. So it may look like you've been passed over. It may look like you've passed your time of fruitfulness. It may look like love was never there for you, but God's crossing his arms towards you. God's crossing his hands towards you. What does he say to impact church? What does he say to us? He said, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide and don't hold back. Stretch it as far as you can. Stretch it further than you think it ought to go. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle their desolate cities. Hallelujah. Look, I want you to take hold of this for yourself. I want you to take hold of this for your family. God's blessing upon you. Don't be afraid, verse 4. You will not suffer shame. You will not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. Can we just say amen to that? Remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. You're not alone. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted, a distressed and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. <clears throat> Look at verse 9. To me this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. That cloud of darkness, that sense of being separated that sense of not being good enough that sense of of maybe i've been overlooked and maybe it's for everybody else but not for me no that that's moving away that's no longer here this this storm cloud this darkness is moving away there's bright bright skies coming all of this dinginess and darkness and this fog and this it's moving away there's bright skies coming verse 10 Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. Oh, come on now. Look, I'm going to tell you, this is my favorite day. This moment right now is my favorite moment because this is the moment of the Lord. I can't do anything about yesterday. It's already dead and gone. I can't go back and fix all that. I can't, I can't walk back in time and, and take hold of opportunities that I missed. I can't go back in time and undo things that I did wrong. I, I can't do that. I can't step into tomorrow and somehow make tomorrow work. I have to deal with what I have right now. I've got to walk this out, but this is the day of opportunity. This is the moment that I know God's given me. I, can't, I don't know what five years from now is going to be like. I don't know what ten years from now, but I have to work with what God's given me. But I can choose to praise the Lord right now, and I can choose to spend time in His Word right now, and, and I can choose to press into my relationship with the Lord, and I can choose to, to seize the moment that I have to be able to speak to somebody and to pray for somebody I can't, I don't have the promise that I can pray for them tomorrow or on Friday or, or down the road. But if God presents an opportunity right now, I can work with today. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. Why not rejoice and be glad in it? Why not work with the day that he's given, with, given us? When God presents an opportunity, don't say, well, maybe something will work out for them to get ministered to down the road, or they really need an opportunity to go see brother so-and-so, and he'll be able to help them out, or sister so-and-so, and they'll be able to help them out. But God put you there. This is the day. This is the moment. Use that opportunity. Be confident of the presence of God and His anointing that He put in your life, that it's effective. But I don't really understand about it. I've, I've never really prayed for somebody like that. He's still the same Holy Spirit. But I'm, I'm not the best with my words. And, and, and I, 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 this, is, this is something I, I've never done before. It doesn't really matter, does it? It's the same Holy Spirit. If God's intention is to impact their life, all he needs is someone to open the floodgate. All he needs is someone to turn the valve a little bit, to let a little God come out and trickle down and bring life-giving water on them. And God's put that reservoir inside of us. He just needs us to be able to release it. Lord Jesus, would you just work through us today? Lord, let there be testimonies from the the restaurant to the the telephone Everybody we come in contact with, just let a little Jesus come out. I might just get excited. Verse 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. He's already crossed his hands towards you. Even though Joseph stands up and says, wait, God, that's not the way it's supposed to be done. God tradition says this is the person that should be praying. God tradition says this is the person that should be blessed. God's saying, I've already crossed my hands. I'm not changing it back. It's intentional. God's crossed his hands towards you. Nor my covenant of peace will be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise. Can you imagine that? But what's the best foundation stone? I don't know what the best construction stone is, but if God chooses turquoise, let's use turquoise. And your foundations with sapphires. But we're supposed to make, make jewelry out of that. It's all right. I love them so much. I'm going to lavish them with enough sapphires to make the foundations out of it. I know one thing about sapphire. It's a hard, hard stone. Very strong. I've never seen them big enough to make foundation. I just lost my place. There we go. I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of sparkling jewels and all your walls precious stones. What's the image? Image doesn't really have to do with the composition of what kinds of stones it is. It just means that he is lavishing favor and making something beautiful and he is pouring out abundance it's not even so much about the wealth that's involved it's about him doing something glorious something over the top towards you why because he chose to cross his hands towards you all your sons will be taught by the lord and great will be your children's peace can i just say something about that if i as a minister cause people to be dependent on me for their spiritual nourishment, I've done them a gross disfavor. 
If I or any minister teaches in such a way that people feel like that we have got to go to that person to be able to hear from heaven, they have done the body of Christ a great disfavor. But I can tell you this, I can point you to the cross. I can lead you to a relationship and I can tell you that God has no favoritism when it comes to his visitation and his desire to be with you. He knocks on your door just the way he knocks on my door. He says, will you, will you let me come in? I want to come sup with you. I want to have sweet fellowship with you. I want to teach you the secrets of the kingdom. I want to open my word and let it be a flourishing field before you. God's got his own anointing. God's got his own gifting. God's got his own relationship that he wants to have with you. He has crossed his hands towards you to bring blessing on your life. And when we begin to walk together in that relationship and when God blossoms the gifts that he's put inside of us and when he causes us to be fruitful together, let me tell you, then his body will flourish. Stop, stop looking for a general to stand in front of you and tell you everything you need to go. Press into your relationship with the Lord and just rise up as the army of the Lord and begin to do the things that God tells us to do. And we will walk together and see God repossess what the enemy has tried to take. So let's, let's press into our relationship with him. Press into God's word so that we can understand his heart towards us and, his, and what he wants to accomplish through us. And then let's, let's see God accomplish what he's always intended. God wants to wrap this thing up. God wants to wrap this thing up. There's an appointed time in God's timeline. That One thing that you see when you study biblical history is that there are were ups and downs in people's relationship with God. There were good times and there were rough times. There were renewals and there were very, very bad retreats from the presence of the Lord. But you know what? It did not affect God's timeline. God still accomplished. If you me measure things out by timeline, you see that things still happen exactly according to God's purpose and time. The heavens still spin not out of control, but perfectly in control because God knows what he's doing with regards to that. On our part, we get to choose. Are we wanting to be a part of his timeline or are we going to be on an eddy somewhere spinning out here having a, maybe a spiritual experience but not really being effective for what he's trying to accomplish? If I could be just real plain, I have to... I have to be real careful how I speak in, about some things because <clears throat> the words that are being said are carrying further than just this house. There are people that are hearing from other places and I don't want to offend. But I just want to say this. There are sometimes in churches where you find people that are, are hungry for a visitation from God. Which is fine, except that if they just want to have a visitation like the last visitation, what did, was God able through the last visitation to accomplish what he needed done? Or was it just a feel-good moment? 
if we're not changed by a visitation, can I be really, I'm going to be really plain with you. I can remember years ago, oh, I hope people's feelings aren't hurt unless they need to be. But I can remember us having some wonderful services, seeing people get ministered to down, down here. And then the next night, people would get ministered to, and they would come back with the same problem they had the night before. And I told the Lord, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm sick and tired of having great services and nothing changing. And it became, a, a, I'm like, Lord, I want to see whatever you want to accomplish be accomplished. And I love the great services and I love the good feelings. But if all we're doing is getting another spiritual high and it's not bringing about a transformation inside of us, there's something anemic about that move. There's something wrong with it. God wants to transform us from glory to glory. God wants us to move deeper. And, and the glory to glory, can I just vent my soul again? Our glory to glory experience shouldn't be about our personal glorification. It should be about His glorification. Our experiences in the Lord, the miracles that He does, the victories that He gives should not be about us building our kingdom or establishing ourselves or building our reputation or our being lifted up. He needs to be lifted up. We shouldn't be pointing people to us. Yeah, I'm venting. But a humble heart before the Lord not puffed up with pride or self-exaltation. I'm going to tell you, um, confidence is one thing. Pride is another. Confidence in who He is in us versus pride in what God may have done through us, but all of a sudden, that look at me. Aren't I something to be, a sight to be seen? There's something wrong with that, and the, the body of Christ is way too filled with that. God will not share his glory with that. But if he's being glorified, you'll see the glory of God. God loves, can I, God loves his people. God loves his people so much. God will minister through broken vessels. God will minister through prideful through, through prideful vessels God, because they're there. They're willing to be a vessel. But God will also work to humble. God will work to perfect. God will work to, to fix the part that may be out of place, to bring back an alignment what's out of place. So, yes, it is very possible for us in the body of Christ to see people used mightily that may still have flaws in who they are. My challenge is to you, don't chase after spiritual heroes. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't, you, we can learn things from people, we can, but make sure that Jesus is the focus, not a man or a woman or anything like that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm way off over here. My point is this. God's wanting to work through us. We started out and we were in verse 13. All your sons will be taught by the Lord. Personal relationship. Teach your children. Teach your spiritual descendants. Teach those that you're mentoring and discipling in the faith. Teach them to have their own personal relationship with God. Teach them to pray. Pray activates heaven's resources on their behalf. Prayer activates heaven's resources on their behalf. Release the kingdom of God by, pray by prayer. In righteousness you will be established. 
It says, there, there's some things here we need to get a hold of. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. I wish somebody would just take hold of that. Are you wrestling with anxiety? Is stress a problem? Is the enemy using that as the cage to keep you from being able to do the things that God's called you to do? Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed, and it will not come near you. <laughs> now, what he has just said seems almost contrary to what he's getting ready to say. But don't look yet, because we're going to get there. What he just said sounds contrary to what he's getting ready to say, but I want you to see what's exciting about it. I'm running back over here, sorry. Then he said, he just said that there won't be any tyranny, there won't be any terror, won't even come near you. But then he says in verse 15, if anyone does attack you. Now what's that about? He just said that they wouldn't. He just said that tyranny or terror wouldn't be there. He says, if anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Doesn't the enemy try to trick us up and make us think that somehow God's angry with us or God failed us? And then it says, listen to this, whoever attacks you will surrender to you. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. <laughs> you think the enemy loves that? I'm going to wage war against that person. I'm going to beat them down. I'm going to keep them from being successful in the Lord. And the Lord says, no, they may attack you, but they're going to surrender to you. The devil, by attacking you, is losing ground. See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. This one's going to be tough for you, too. It said, and it is I who created the destroyer to work havoc. So there's a sense in which this destroyer that moves out through the earth and causes things to be undone. There's sometimes the Lord allows a destroyer to come into countries or situations and circumstances to stir things up because things need to be shaken. They need to be changed. But we have this promise that we can probably quote by heart, no weapon formed against you will, pro will prosper or will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication for me, declares the Lord. So let me just say again, you may feel like somehow you've been left out. You may feel like you've been left behind, that God's been moving and you haven't been included. You may feel like that you somehow, there's some kind of mark on your forehead that causes you to be excluded or something that says that you messed up too many times and you, you, you were... You were not chosen to be the, in the sweet potato patch. You were not the select apple. You got set on the side shelf when everything else went to market. It may feel like maybe you got left out. I just want to tell you today, the word of the Lord today is God's crossed his hands towards you. And while you feel like you're not the chosen one, while you feel like you're not the firstborn that's supposed to be getting that type of blessing, God's saying, no, I am not reversing it. I am bringing blessing to you. There's favor that's resting upon you. There's blessing that's resting upon you. There's anointing that's resting upon you. You may be late to come to bloom, but you're going to flourish in fruitfulness. God's opening a wide place in front of you, and you're going to see the fertile field. 
Just be willing to walk with the Lord, be faithful to the Lord, do what he tells you to do, and you will see your time of harvest. Amen and amen. Let's stand before the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. See, God does miracles. We're a little bit early here today. Hallelujah. Lord God, I thank you, dear God. Because if we turn our gaze towards heaven today, God, we will find you looking down upon us, not with a scowl, not with a pointing finger, but God, you've chosen to make your face shine towards us today with a smile. God, you're as excited about what you want to accomplish in our lives, your God, much more than what we could ever be excited because we don't know the fullness of it, your Lord. But I pray that, you, pray that you would lift our heads, your God, and put a sense of purpose and vision and excitement, your God, that for today and for tomorrow, dear God, that we can rejoice about what you're getting ready to do. Thank you, dear Lord, that you don't count our past against us. But God, that you're looking forward to walking us into our tomorrow. Lord, now, would you let your anointing rest upon us, dear God. Teach us, each one, dear Lord, how to walk out the life that you've created us for. And God, I pray... God, that you will be glorified by how we live these lives. And God, we dedicate this house to you, this fellowship, everything that you did in the past, your God, and everything that you've got planned for the future. Have your way with us, O oh God. May it be unto us according to your word. Huh. Lord, bless this people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go be that people.